0: separate yourself from your ego or your mind from your ego you're not a cigarette smoker the body you're in just happens to be smoking cigarettes and it really resets that thought process and it's been really profound with people in in studying addiction there there needs to be a lot more research done but
1: welcome to the prime life project podcast a place to help you unlock your full potential both mentally and physically to become the best version of you Welcome back to another episode of the Primer Project Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James. And today we're going to be talking about something I can categorically guarantee you've never spoken about before. And we've been talking off air already. Mike is excited in the background. I'm excited. We've got a fantastic guest today. But before we go into today's episode... If this episode makes you think, if it changes your perspective on anything, do us a favor, like and share the episode to help us spread the word to help as many people as possible. So the gentleman I'm talking to today is Amir Karian, and he's part owner of the world's largest vertically integrated mushroom farm and is the founder of a new venture, Alchemy Mushrooms, which grows and retails functional medicine mushrooms. He grew up on a family that grew mushrooms uh, but his passion for mycology only began when he had uh, his personal healing to go through. He learned firsthand the power of medical mushrooms, and then he learned to share this information with others. His passion for mycology has now led him to the forefront of mushroom technology and the world's health, wellness, and sustainable solutions. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me very much looking forward to this. And again, I know we've got a bit of a, a slight time today, but it's because you're in California and we've woken you up to, to do this podcast. So very much appreciated. Um, let's just sort of go back to the beginning because mushrooms are a very weird niche thing to get into. So why did your family originally three generations ago get into mushroom farming?
0: That's a question. I don't even know how to answer because <laughs> back then in the, in the U S it was, uh, mushrooms weren't very popular even as produce you know it's kind of like the weird side thing on the produce aisle that people didn't really know how to use in their you know culinary and in the kitchen um so just taking it way back my uh uncle immigrated here from iran and he got involved in just agricultural industry and um part of the the organization he was working for had a small, uh, mushroom, uh, company that he was in charge of as well. And, um, you know, eventually he, that was divested and he purchased that, you know, small company. They were producing about 50,000 pounds of mushrooms per year. And then, uh, once he took that company private, he essentially grew it into Monterey mushrooms and Amicel, which, which we know of today, um, now being the, the largest vertically integrated mushroom company in the world. Um, my involvement um, didn't start until you know about six years ago, um, and you know I was I was involved in the company early on, um, growing mainly your culinary mushrooms, so like portobellas and button you know button mushrooms, yeah. oyster mushrooms, shiitake, the ones you see in the grocery store, um, which you know was always cool to me, um, learning how to farm these mushrooms and uh, the beating that was done behind the scenes, but my passion, like you mentioned, was you know really came about um, for these medicinal and functional strains, strains that most people may not have heard of, um, like lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and then a few different psychedelic mushrooms and how, um, they can benefit human health, uh, beyond just from a culinary standpoint.
1: So did you have an interest in this before your own personal health issues, or is this something that only came about due to your personal health?
0: That actually really catapulted it. So. Um, Yeah, you know, about seven years, eight years ago now, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. So I was I was very ill when I was going, you know, in in late college and right after graduating college. Um, So dealing with personal health issues um, and, you know, it got so bad that I was I was essentially bedridden for for a great part of a year. Um, my, you know, I had every symptom from AZ and, you know, a lot of people that are diagnosed with Lyme disease, they really struggle because it can manifest in any symptom really. Um, you, you know, for me, it was just like debilitating nausea. Brain fog was so bad. I couldn't read anymore. Like you could put a piece of paper in front of my face and I couldn't tell you, I could see words there, but I could not cognitively, you know, describe what I was reading,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, And, you know, several different symptoms like that. So um, a lot of people go undiagnosed with Lyme disease because doctors just say, oh, I don't know, you know, you have a ton of different things. I can't put my finger on it. But luckily I was diagnosed. And so I started going to, um, you know, top infectious diseases doctors that could help me cure this because I was pretty ignorant about what Lyme was. I was a young kid. So I just thought, all right, give me the medicine. Let's get me on my way. I need to put this behind me. Um, and every doctor would tell me the exact same thing. They'd say, Amir, Lyme disease is a chronic illness. You don't, you don't really cure this, but we're going to get you to a point where you can, you know, feel healthy again and you can live your life. And to me, that was, you know, no way, you know, 21, (laughs) I'm a whole life ahead of me. I'm curing this. I don't care what you have to say. So I kind of, you know, respectfully shook the doctor's hand and and went on my way. And so fortunately I was introduced to a nutritionist who, was claiming to be able to cure Lyme. And when you hear something like that, you're very skeptical because there's nothing in medical journals that says Lyme can be cured. But then here we go, this lady who's not even a physician, she's just a nutritionist. Um, I don't want to say just a nutritionist,
1: Um, Well, no, no, but it was interesting because Um, we've had some doctors on the podcast before that again, aren't your typical mm -hmm. normal run-of-the-mill doctors, but like you're saying here, there's things that can be reversed, which people don't even know about. You go to your specialist, normal doctors. And as you said, oh no, you've got to live with it. And it's like, well, you don't really, if you dig a little bit deeper.
0: Exactly. And you really realize how much of what's going on is food related, like what you're putting into your body. And it's a shame and a no fault of any doctor, doctors have their own toolbox and they learn what they learn through medical school. And a lot of what you learn, a lot of the curriculum that the physicians will learn in medical school come from um, technologies and advancements made by pharmaceutical companies, companies That's that are it. passing drugs. And so they teach that, okay, when you see these symptoms, this is the drug that will fix it. And for Lyme, there was nothing in the toolbox there. There's no one pill cure. So when I went to this nutritionist, I I kid you not, it it sounded like it sounded like, you know, what are you making me do? What are you telling me to do? This is the weirdest thing ever. Um, But I was desperate at that point. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll literally try anything for a few months and see how it goes. She put me on this protocol. It was the most intense diet you could probably imagine. I was eating nothing but steamed vegetables and like. You know, wild caught salmon or grass fed lamb and, you know, very little portions of meat. And then some potatoes here and there, no oils, like not even olive oil, nothing like that. So I couldn't go to restaurants for a mm-hmm. for greater part of a year. Um, and then the other part of it was supplementation. And I always, you know, when someone tells me to take something, I'm always someone that likes to dig in and, and learn what I'm putting into my body. So I did a lot of research on all the, the plants that are in these supplements. A lot of adaptogenic plants and herbs and roots, and most of the supplements had a functional mushroom in them, whether it was cordyceps or reishi or turkey tail. And I didn't know about them back then, but obviously, you know, I have a history with mushrooms with my family. I didn't know anything about these mushrooms. It was kind of a few years before it started getting popular in the Western world, it was mainly Eastern medicine. So, you know, fast forward one year and a half of going through this treatment, I was. You know, night and day difference in in my health. My brain fog cleared up. Uh, I was losing a ton of hair. My hair grew back. Um, I could actually walk 20 steps without feeling like I'm going to pass out. I started going to work again. So it was a complete transformation for just, you know, supplementation and diet.
1: How long did that take for you to start to notice a difference uh, with that? Like how long was it? It was...
0: It was uh it was very gradual. So it's hard to say like six months and that was good. It was really like it was kind of a roller coaster. I'd have weeks where I felt amazing, like I was back to normal and then kind of a little dip. And so it was kind of this cyclical wave, but it was uptrending. Mm-hmm. And I think after about a year to a year and a half was when I was really like back in the gym. I was able to work out for an hour, you know, like the full what felt like a full recovery. Um so can I ask your
1: so can I ask with your mental health during that time because obviously as a young lad you couldn't go out couldn't socialise much I'm assuming you couldn't drink any alcohol there's all these different things that as a young lad you're meant to be doing and well, what's so meant to be doing that sort of time you've had an actual doctor say this yeah. can't be cured you've got this crazy lady saying try all this stuff you're not seeing instant results. So I'm just trying to relate this to my audience that maybe think, oh, this isn't working for me, whether it's fat loss, whether it's health related. So what was your mentality like? What was it like for you to be going through this and pushing through without getting that instant hit of, oh yeah, this is working amazing?
0: Was that exactly what you mentioned was the most difficult part of the whole thing. You know, the diet, obviously that's hard. The You know, taking 60 pills of (laughs) supplements a day, that's hard too. But the hardest thing is, pushing through when you don't know for sure anything is gonna work because you don't know if it's been proven. And and yeah, I wasn't able to go out and do anything with friends. I was 50 pounds lighter than I am now. I I, I look like I was like a starving skeleton. Um and a lot of it was blind faith and trust in the process. It was a lot of desperation and a lot of instances there I felt broken. You know, I feel good for a week and then just take a huge like you know dump in, in my health and felt like okay it's this is a big waste of time um and yeah it took a lot of persistence I you know I thought I kind of put blinders on and thought this is what you need to do if it takes one year if it takes two years you have to go through with this because this is the rest of your life you cannot be feeling like this so Mm -hmm. I kind of just like dug deep and thought do whatever it takes and just get through this process and give it, give it the two years it needs. Because that's what you really told me. It's going to take time. And I, it does take time. You I know? absolutely love that. The fact that? that you're
1: saying that a few things like, like trust in the process. Like, I mean, like you've literally made this commitment to do something and then trust in the process of it. I would also like to apologize because I feel like sometimes because of the delay, I'm cutting you off. So I never mean to cut you off. So I do apologize with that. No, worries, um, no worries. So when it comes to this, so you've now like, we are fast forward a little bit. So you, you've managed to um, go through the whole pro- protocol. You're feeling loads better. And then I've heard that you kind of like, put it to your family that's growing these like port like these portobello mushrooms like the 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 mushrooms that you eat in normally and then you put to them hey listen i think there's a market for this how did your family react to that
0: yeah so i definitely knew there was something here with these mushrooms especially because when i went back to the physician that prescribed me or sorry diagnosed me i went back to that physician and i said you know do the same pcr dna test and check my life and it was gone And they were dumbfounded. So I knew there was something with these mushrooms that more people needed to know about. Um, And when I went to family and thought, like, we need to get this involved in our business. It's going to be, you know, a big part of people's wellness journey. And and we should be, you know, the people doing it. Um, At that time, the response was you know, it's very niche market. This is Eastern medicine. It's kind of this holistic alternative stuff. It's not well studied. It's not well documented. Um, and yeah, the, the juice isn't really worth the squeeze because these mushrooms aren't the easiest to grow. We don't have a ton of experience doing it. So why do it if there's not going to be enough demand for it? And they were right. I mean, at that point there wasn't enough demand for it. So it was a lot of effort for possibly no reward. Um, but I was still very fixated on them. I I, I was determined and and knew or hopeful that it would have the impact on other people that it had on me. So I kind of took it upon myself to just start doing this. I was working with the company after recovery um, and, you know, working with growing, you know, our, our standard products and mushrooms and things like that. But I, but then I started doing this on the side. So after my, you know, day to day, I had this old abandoned shipping container that was kind of, it's on the side of our property. Um, and I asked, you know, Hey, like we're not using this for anything. Let me use it. I'm going to convert it to like a mini farm and start growing this stuff. And I said, yeah, you know, go knock yourself out. <laughs> so I started, um, started collecting the, the different uh, strains reishi lion's main, and started learning how to cultivate these. I was working, you know, a little bit with our, our researchers at the lab, um, trying to get some more insight from them and anything they knew about growing these mushrooms. And, it, you know, took it took several years of learning how to really optimally grow these mushrooms. Um, what you know, airflow, do they need what gas exchange? What are the best genetics and the best foods to give them to grow really high quality mushrooms? Because this isn't just food anymore. This is medicine. Mm. So we can't just grow the mushrooms. and eat it. You know, we need to grow the mushroom and then test the chemical compounds and make sure the levels are there. And a lot of different variables come into play in making sure food as medicine is really potent. Um, and then, yeah, four, four years later, after doing this, um, get approached my uncle says hey we're getting a ton of demand now for chaga for lion's mane for reishi do you grow this do you know how to do all this stuff you know i thought okay yeah man this is like what we've been working on and what i'm (laughs) telling you so finally um we, we we're pushing forward with this and uh that's really what prompted me to start alchemy because i was growing these mushrooms and i wanted to start getting them out to the world um, and now in 2022, Q1 of 22, we're going to be launching our wholesale, um, division to market these powders to different retailers so that they can use them in their formulas.
1: I absolutely love that because again, just some of your audience could pick up on that. Like the fact that you've gone to your family and said, I think this is a great idea. And they've essentially laughed at you. And you've believed in it so much that you've then gone out your way and be like, no, no, I believe in this. But not only that, you have then found out that it's actually super hard to do. So it's not just something that you're sort of doing as a side thing, like the amount of studying and research you've had to go into this. Like if, again, people listen to this, if you've got something that you fully believe in and you're invested in it, you have to go for it. Because as you then said, it came full circle four years later, your family's then coming back to you being like, actually, people are kind of talking to us about these mushrooms. And you're like... Listen, I've been telling you this the whole time. Like this is the stuff I'm growing in that shipping container. You should listen to me to start off with. Like you could have been ahead of the curve, but you were. Like I think that's a real key a point for the audience to listen to there, like about that, not necessarily an entrepreneurial mindset, which is what you've applied it in, but just anything in life in general. If you've got like good feeling and you trust yourself, I talk about all the time, you have to back yourself, which is exactly what you've done there. And I absolutely love that, which I'm so glad you said that story because when I've heard you talk before, that bit for me was a bit like, I love this guy. Like he's just gone all in. He's like, do you know what? I back myself and you've gone for it. So talk to me then about these mushrooms because we've got the the traditional like growing mushrooms that people eat, but these medicinal mushrooms, you sort of alluded to it a little bit there. They're essentially living organisms. I know nothing about mushrooms, but I know they are crazy as fuck. So can you talk to me about these mushrooms and what makes them so special? What makes them so unique and how do you actually grow them and farm them? Yeah. So
0: these, these mushrooms, um, First, I have to say, so far, even culinary mushrooms, like your portobellas and your shiitake button mushrooms, they all have chemical compounds that benefit human health. Um, but the functional medicinal mushrooms that we're, we're, we're all getting introduced to now, they have a lot more immune boosting uh, properties um, and just different chemical compounds in them that can help with different different benefits, essentially. So... One of my favorites right now is called cordyceps militaris or cordyceps uh, in general, the species of mushrooms. And it's being studied pretty heavily right now for um, for energy generation and for athletes in general. Michael Jordan, actually, like he really was a fan of these mushrooms. A lot of Olympians were using them back in the 80s and 90s, um, and it's kind of starting to come around full circle. So. This mushroom is really great for athletic performance because it it increases VO2 max, which is essentially the body's ability and efficiency of oxygen utilization in the muscles. So they've done clinical studies um, with athletes, you know, people either swimming or doing stationary cycling. And they find that after just three weeks of supplementing with this mushroom, their uh, maximal energy or oxygen consumption increased significantly. And their workout time to exhaustion increased as well compared to the placebo. So they were able to go further, longer um, during high intensity training and their recovery even sped up because that increased oxygen flow helped uh, reduce lactic acid buildup in the muscles. Um, And cordyceps has several other benefits, anti-tumor properties, antibacterial, um, potentially can help with diabetes because it can help metabolize glycogen. And yeah, so, you know, all of these mushrooms have various different effects. Another one that's really uh, amazing that I like to take every day is called lion's mane. And lion's mane is one that can benefit cognitive function, focus, and memory, and is even being seen as a potential remedy to not only prevent, but even reverse symptoms of Alzheimer's. Um, which is you know, really incredible. Um, there's still, need, I think that there's still a lot more research to be done um, in getting into human trials, but so far trials on, on mice have been really promising at literally reversing stages of Alzheimer's. They've injected mice with, uh, with chemical that induces the plaque buildup that, that occurs in, in Alzheimer's and dementia patients. And they found that after supplementation with lion's mane, that the, the plaque essentially reverses and starts to die down. Um, and it induces um, neurogenesis, so the regrowth of of neural pathways in the brain.
1: Uh, how many? How many? Because so you said yeah. it's like so, so with with these different mushrooms. Uh, I know you said that the first one is being clinically studied is Lions Main now actually being fully studied on a deep level because that's some crazy stuff especially when you say about the, that first one I can't pronounce uh, how you said it but the fact they said reducing tumors and stuff like that like that is absolutely crazy. Like, and obviously I know that the, oh, wow. the the actual proper medical world is catching up with this now. But is there a lot of these clinical studies that are going on behind the scenes?
0: There's a lot more happening these days. Um, a lot of this has been anecdotal and and kind of just traditional medicine. Um, but for example, another mushroom called turkey tail, that's actually a prescribed anti-cancer medication in Japan right now. And I think, you know, Western world really has a lot of catching up to do. And the reason it's prescribed is because it helps um, boost immunity um, as patients are going through uh, radiation and chemotherapy. So it it really, uh, it can really stimulate the immune system and, uh, yeah, it's showing a a ton of promise and also has tumor inhibition properties too. So it can actually start breaking these tumors down. So yeah, a lot more clinical studies are, are being conducted and I think this, uh, this new explosion in like the psychedelic world is getting people so excited about the mushroom industry in general. So a lot of capital is being poured into mushrooms across, across you know, medicinal psychedelic, all, the whole space is really being flooded with capital now. So we, it's it's definitely a positive.
1: We're definitely going to into the, the psychedelics. So uh, yeah, the audience is listening into that. We are delving into that. So don't worry about that. Um, So I've only really heard before we had this conversation. I've heard of Lion's Mane and I've heard of Reishi. Like um, I know there's loads of different forms of Reishi that you can get. But so, audience, listen to this. Like we spoke about this before off air. At the minute, um, the UK listeners, we can't get your your products because again, I know it's all organic. And it's, it's really well like farmed. I know that. So let's say it's for my listeners here, because there's loads of supplement shops that pop around. There's always companies that are saying, "Oh, it's got Reishi and it, it's got this, it's got that." Like, what should people look out for? when they're trying to buy supplements that have got these mushrooms in, how do, how do, what's he look out for to know this actually good quality mushrooms that will do what it says it's going to do in the correct dosage?
0: Right. So my big uh, points for quality, uh, two, two different things. One is there's a big discrepancy in the market right now between products made from fruit body mushrooms and mycelium, um, which The difference is, you know, fruit body is what you typically think of a mushroom, the the part of the mushroom that pops up out of the ground. Mycelium is essentially the root system of the mushroom that's unseen by human eyes. It's if you've ever like dug up a piece of soil and you saw that white uh, filaments that look kind of like spider webs in the soil, that's the mycelium. And mycelium really is the organism, it's the immune system of the mushroom. It's navigating its way through a really hostile microbial environment in the soil and it's protecting the you know, the organism itself. Um, and then, you know, only when the mushroom is ready or the fungus is ready to reproduce that mushroom is formed a lot of, um, people, you know, the mushroom fruit has been traditionally used in medicine. Now we're finding a lot more information about how beneficial the mycelium is is as well. There's a lot of novel compounds in the mycelium that you don't find in the mushrooms. And the inverse is also true. There's a lot in the mushrooms that are not in the mycelium. So when looking for a really high quality product, um, it's important to find products that have both the mushroom and the mycelium to get a really full spectrum product full spectrum is key um and then the second point i would make is knowing where your supplements are sourced and it's especially true with um with mushrooms because mushrooms are such powerful bioaccumulators they're they're sponges so they'll absorb anything in their growing environment the water you're 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 giving the mushrooms the soils and the substrates the food that you're giving them how they're handled after harvesting you know um sanitation practices and things like that so since they you know can really absorb everything it's important to make sure they're grown in clean environments and that's why we really preach us grown um or you know countries with very high standards of um quality control organic certification and things like that because most of this is grown overseas in in asian countries and we just know that they don't compare to the us when it comes to you know quality standards so Yeah. I would say those are, those are the two biggest factors, knowing where your mushrooms are grown and and looking for full-spectrum products.
1: So did you know anything about that, Mikey? Like they say, so you you, this one to get you on here because I've heard, like I said, Reishi. I've heard people talk about Reishi for years, for about five, six years. And I had a client once say to me, oh my God, this Reishi stuff, you got to try it. Like feel amazing on it. But I'm very much like you, when you very first started on your journey, I have to know something about supplement before I start taking it. And I tried to look into this racy stuff and this was again five, six years ago. There wasn't much about it. So I was really sort of skeptical. I've always in the back of my mind been like, there's got to be something in it. And as soon as you came about, I was like, right, this is the perfect guy. So that whole thing about the supplements and finding quality was more for me being the little nerd that I am, like, what do I look out for? And I had no idea there was two different things when it comes to the actual, the body of the mushroom and then all the stuff that goes on underground, but it makes perfect sense. And the fact that you said there about the mushrooms, we said before about them being live living organisms and they're like sponges, it makes sense. Almost like meat, like animal products, you want to make sure you're getting the best quality stuff that you possibly can. So. I love that. That's, that's absolutely perfect. Um, So why do you think then that this isn't talked about much in mainstream medicine? So obviously on the underground functional medicine stuff, I say underground, it's not like it's a drug lord, like the, the, the functional medicine route, it's talked about a lot. Why do you think that mainstream media uh, is so uh, against talking about this sort of stuff? Because you're saying that actually like in Japan, for example, they're using stuff for, for tumors and all that sort of stuff. So this stuff is known, So not tumors, to reverse cancer. So this stuff is known, like it's out there. It's not crazy, it's not woo-woo, uh, which it potentially could have been seen a couple of years ago. So why do you think modern medicine is so against um, pushing forward with this?
0: you know it probably really comes down to the fact that these are not drugs, right? They're not chemicals when a lot of Eastern medicine is based in pure plants. So they'll take a a root or a, a tea leaf or a mushroom and they will, you know, they know the power that the holistic um, organism has on the human body. and so, You know, manufacturers will really just grow and sell that as a medicine. But in the Western world, we know that the pharmaceutical industries reign supreme and they're always looking for, okay, this has a lot of promise. Let's figure out what chemical is the silver bullet in this so we can turn it into a drug, we can patent it and then we can profit off of it because you can't patent a mushroom. It's an organism, right? Like Mm -hmm. psilocybin. I'm sure everyone wishes they can own the patent on psilocybin, but you just can't do that. So companies are looking for weird ways to formulate it and, and find something to patent. But because of the fact that you can't patent a reishi mushroom, for example, there is no funding going into clinical studies. Because why invest millions and potentially billions of dollars? Average drug costs about a billion dollars to go through clinical trials and FDA approval. So why put in all that money if we're not going to get any money out of it? We're basically just funding research for the whole world to be able to profit off of this. Mm. So it doesn't get funding. And so there's no studies and then it kind of falls to the, you know, small, um, alternative medicine healers to utilize.
1: I love that. And again, it's again, just my audience, the long time listeners just listen to what Amir is saying. Like just listen to what all my guests are saying. Like, follow the money as soon as we said by the way i asked that, asked that question mikey was behind me like just rubbing his hands like again you've got to follow the money now again this isn't conspiracy stuff. like this is this is just how the world works this is what it is so again the stuff that amir is talking about if amir had listened to modern medicine and again by the way i just want to point out i love exactly what you said earlier on about doctors and i 100 million percent agree with what you said like and, and i'm so glad you said that actually because um i don't think they get enough credit they are absolutely amazing they are fantastic at their job like they save lives they are incredible but as you said the only limited to what they're taught in school. School is taught in the Western world, it's not taught in Eastern medicine and all that sort of stuff. So they're very narrow-minded in what they're teaching. So if you listen to that modern Western culture, like you would still be ill. So people listen to this. It's just, just just expand your minds a little bit. And this is what we're saying here. Like, but do I you mean we're, we're trying to help you guys to actually become that best version of yourself? So I'm really glad that you said that and, and hit the points from both the doctor's point of view and also like actually the pharmaceutical and stuff like that. So this can to sound like a bizarre question. It's just sort of popped into my head because these mushrooms are living organisms and they're so hard to quote unquote control. I've heard you talk about another podcast about how much maintenance goes into these mushrooms to make sure that no poisons come in and different things that can literally wipe it all out. Is it like looking after cattle? Is that the kind of level of detail you've got to go into about looking after these living things, or is it not quite that out there?
0: it can definitely be compared to that i mean cultivating any living organism has its challenges they're all prone to diseases that we would like to think we can control but ultimately we can't even control disease within our own bodies what makes control disease happening in a mushroom so we have all the parameters and place and procedures to control any sort of variation that may happen to the crop but know we've been in this business 50 years and we still get blindsided like every other cultivator of any crop knows um sometimes things are inevitable the hardest thing i mean disease control is one thing um variability in the raw materials is a whole nother thing that realistically is is close to impossible to control where are we getting the wheat straw that the mushrooms or the wood chips that the mushrooms are coming from is it grown exactly the same way every time Is the food, the exact same way, because the food you're giving the mushrooms is going to affect the mushrooms, just like what we eat affects us. Mm. So um, it it really, it really can change the genetic DNA of those mushrooms. Um, And genetics is is really key because there's so much genetic variation from mushroom to mushroom, um, even within a crop. So, having procedures in place that can control genetic mutations and genetic variations to give the exact same mushroom every single time is is difficult to say the least, but necessary. Um, it was difficult when we were only selling food, right? Because, <laughs> you know, because food, we just want to make sure one, it tastes good. It's clean, uh, it's healthy, um, and it looks pretty because shoppers shop with their eyes. They don't want a weird wonky shaped mushroom. <laughs> But now we took it to like a complete step further. All those things are still true, and now we need to make sure our chemical constituents are potent and bioavailable. I love that. Yeah.
1: So, correct me if I'm wrong. Are mushrooms just massive adaptogens? Is that what they specifically are within the body? Is that what they do? Are they classed as an adaptogen?
0: They, they have adaptogenic properties, definitely. And essentially, you know, different mushrooms like reishi, for example, help the body adapt to different internal and external stressors. They're really good at helping detoxify the liver. Um, and, and that was a big reason that they were so pivotal in helping me um, cure my, my Lyme disease. Because when you're, uh, when you're dealing with something like cancer or Lyme disease, something that suppresses your immune system you end up with so many different ailments and co-infections. It's not just Lyme disease, it's not just cancer. Now, because my immune system is so weak, I have um, digestive issues. My kidneys are starting to be worn down. My liver is super toxic. Um, So taking these different adaptogenic mushrooms, essentially they help upregulate organ function. Cordyceps is incredible at helping adrenal function and kidney support. So my kidneys can help, you know, detoxify my body and give me more strength um, and energy to fight the illness. Reishi mushrooms can help detoxify my liver so that I can cleanse out these, these harmful byproducts from Lyme spirochetes um, and different things like that. So yeah, they are definitely adaptogens and they help, you know, um, allow the body to, to fight off
1: different pathogens just wanted to say with the audience obviously like uh, an adaption for the people that don't know an adaption is something that adapts It's basically what it says it, it is an adaptable thing so it goes into the body uh so for example i take ashwagandha i know it's not a mushroom but ashwagandha um like if you're in a very anxious state it'll bring you down if you're in a very depressive state it'll bring you up so it wherever you're at it adapts to what the body needs and it helps the body to adapt so basically the reason why i went down that tangent there was because obviously we've got this living organism through basically harnessing its power very much like the bacteria and the gut and stuff like that. We're then taking that into our body and I've got these little bimbs in my head, like these little superheroes just going in and sort of doing their thing. Like you've completely changed my view on mushrooms in the short time we've been talking. Like it's been absolutely fascinating just, just talking to you about this. Um, so I just want to get my audience a bit of a flavor into that, about how they actually work, they're basically going in there and uh, helping the body with what it needs essentially, which is why they're so amazing at what they do. Um, let's change gears a bit now and go into psychedelics. Cause I know there'll be a few people listening to this episode. They've heard the word mushrooms. So all people will know about psychedelics is magic mushrooms. That's what mm. everyone hears. That's what everyone knows about. So I don't know anything about psychedelics. So can you give me a bit of an overview about mushrooms and psychedelics? Is it the same mushrooms? What is a magic mushroom? And yeah, just, just give me a bit of an overview about what mushrooms and psychedelics have in common and what they can do.
0: Yeah. Um, there, there are several different psychedelics that are being studied right now. Um, in conjunction with mushrooms like MDMA and ketamine, but, um, mushrooms are showing what I believe the most promise right now in clinical studies. So magic mushrooms, um, they have health benefiting properties, um, similar to functional mushrooms, um, but they contain a chemical called psilocybin. Psilocybin, um, needs to go through our digestive system to become activated. And it basically breaks down into a chemical called solosin, which then binds to our serotonin receptors and can Mm -hmm. linger in serotonin receptors. And basically when it binds, um, those receptors start exploding with signal and it can cause neurons that don't typically fire to start firing and creates new connections and communications within the brain. So, I mean, on a base level, parts of your brain that don't talk to each other are starting to wake up and talk to each other. Um, and, you know, there's, there's something called synesthesia that you may have heard. It's essentially the crossing of senses. So it was like a funny joke in the seventies and eighties during the whole psychedelic movement that, Oh, I'm, I'm high on mushrooms and I can smell the color purple. There's there's actually like, there's truth to that, right? Because it's, it's causing a connectivity in, in parts of your brain. So when, you know, maybe you'll feel pain and, and associate that with the color red, or maybe you'll smell a flower and associate that with a, with a, a feeling or a memory, things like that. So um, it, it is pretty profound in the way it's, it's helping, you know, um, drive new neural pathways. And there was actually a recent study that came out of um, Yale. On, on mice. And it, it really confirmed that a single dose of psilocybin mushrooms was able to create long lasting and and growth in neural pathways in the brain's frontal cortex, which um, it can really do a lot for behavioral change if you think about it. So what psilocybin is, is being thought to do right now and, and being clinically studied to do is essentially get the mind out of conventional thinking patterns, Mm. because it allows us to take a step back, connect different um, pathways and essentially reset um, our our mentality and get out of the grooves, almost destructive grooves of, of, of patternistic thinking. Um, It can be thought of almost like a rebirth. So um, what's really cool with that, um, that theory is that it can help with things like depression and anxiety and different addictions. Um, Johns Hopkins is, is really one of the, the um, institutions that's leading a lot of clinical studies in this space. And the first one they did that was really cool was on terminally ill um, cancer patients that they were just, they were terrified by the thought of their own mortality. And it was just, it was like paralyzing to them. They couldn't go on more knowing that, you know, they only had certain amount of time to live. And after a single therapeutic dose of psilocybin mushrooms, their fears almost vanished. Most of them were completely released of this paralyzing fear. Um, and they, they kind of compared that experience to, you know, being one of the most profound experiences of their, of their lives next to having a child. It's, it's crazy if you think about that, you know, a trip of, of mushrooms comparing that to, you know, the experience of birthing a child, um, so yeah and, and and that study really set the gateway to thinking you know how is this helping uh how can this help with depression and with addictions because what's happening is is with the psilocybin mushrooms and and generating new ways of thought it's essentially breaking down barriers of your own ego you may have heard mm-hmm. of a, a
1: concept called ego
0: death or ego. Yes.
1: yes. Me and Mikey just discussed about that on the podcast About Mike went through an ego. What, what was the, um, was on LSD, yeah, Mike was on LSD and he, he described in, in our episode about how he actually went through, he discussed his ego death. So yeah, we've discussed that on the podcast before.
0: Yeah. It's a really cool concept because it essentially your, your ego protects you from connecting. It's, it's a wall that's put up that really is objectively defining who I am. Who you are, what you are, what I am, and that can lead to a lot of destructive narratives about yourself and about other people. So when you think about, you know, addiction, addiction really is a mental imbalance and a thought process that the second you wake up, you know, I'm addicted to cigarettes. I have to have my cigarette right now. I cannot get through the next few hours without that. And when you can break down those barriers and separate yourself from your ego. Or your mind from your ego, you're not a cigarette smoker. The body you're in just happens to be smoking cigarettes. And it really resets that thought process. And it's been really profound with people in, in studying addiction. There, there needs to be a lot more research done, but initial one that was done um found that there was 80% success rates, it was a study of 15 participants, 80% success rate over a six-month period um, with, with getting them off um, addiction to cigarettes.
1: Mate, Compared to you- can, can sure. I just say, you have yeah. just fucking blown my mind. I had goosebumps <laughs> the entire time you we were talking then. I, I know Mikey's having, because obviously Mikey's gone through this personally. Yeah. You are, the way you articulate things is unreal. Like you have got such a way of articulating this stuff. And I just, I understood everything you just said there when it comes to the mental health. Again, of so my audience, they've got such a, uh, well, they potentially have got such a negative connotation with psychedelics. But what you've just explained and how you've just explained it, I think will put a lot of people at ease because you've just explained how it works. The fact of these neurons. So again, uh, there's, there's a phrase: uh, neurons that fire together, uh, wire together, fire together. Something like fire together, wild together. Something like that. Basically, you create create these pathways in the brain that basically becomes your personality and what you do. So then, the fact that you're just saying there that you can basically step away from you, the you that is destructive, the you that's got uh, these addictions, these negative. You can step away from that and reset. What the fuck, mate? That is crazy shit. And then you're even going deeper than that. And are talking about again having that like, ego death and understanding what you said there, which is essentially what spirituality is all about—understanding that there's no difference between me and you, there's no difference between me and Mikey, there's no difference between anybody. We are all fundamentally the same. So actually, being able to understand that and experience that is absolutely incredible. Is I've heard something I can't remember what podcast or I think I've definitely heard it on a podcast before. I don't think it's one of your ones. Um, talking about uh psychedelics. And monkeys back in the day, chimpanzees, something like that. And how we actually managed to evolve is that because we were eating these mushrooms and these uh, psychedelic things that then opened up these pathways in our brain, then led us to evolve. Have you heard anything about that? What's your thoughts on that?
0: I have heard it. I heard um, Paul Stamets talking about it. And I think the theory came from Terrence McKenna. I'm not positive, but I heard the theory. And and the way it goes is um, essentially there's been no... Genetic evolution for hundreds of thousands of years in Homo sapiens, but um, something has happened. Um, there was a massive, significant rise in intellectual capacity without uh, physical evolution happening. And I don't know if you read the book Homo sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. I haven't, but Mikey has. Yeah, super interesting book, and it talks about that exactly. Like you know, we evolved few hundred thousand years ago and somewhere around 70,000 years ago, there was this crazy shift in intellectual capacity. All of these things, you know, um, you know, our, our mental capacity just exploded and what really changed and no one really knows. So it's been theorized that, um, ingesting psilocybin helped to induce genetic, uh, mutation in the brain and start to awaken the mind. Obviously that's not going to happen one time. It happened over hundreds and and millions of different doses of psilocybin that are picked up from a piece of shit really on the ground, (laughs) ingested. And and then, you know, it it becomes a a norm in, in culture and in, in, you know, tribes back then. And it starts to have, um, genetic variation and mutation happening in the brain.
1: I've heard about psilocybin. I'm sure that's used in uh, in um, ritual practices in some cultures in the world. I'm sure I've heard. I'm sure it's a Joe Rogan podcast. I heard on this on. Is psilocybin the one that grows under cow shit? It, it yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, with, like, with with the moisture and stuff like that. Like basically, like uh, I heard something about that. But apparently, it's used um, in um, different cultures, it's like as as, a, as an actual um, ritual thing.
0: Yeah, a, a lot of different hallucinogenics have been used in psychedelic drugs, like you know ayahuasca and. Um, dht from uh the the toad uh, venom that is secreted um my knowledge on that is limited but psilocybin mushrooms yeah they are traditionally like you know grown from dung because you know most of the environment is just carbon based and and wood and, and different fibers and then the second there's a nitrogen base of dung a mushroom just will pop out you know it gives it that energy for it to fruit um I suspect that, you know, as the industry moves into growing more mushrooms, it's not going to be, you know, we're not going to be having crops of <laughs> and growing mushrooms out there. There's other ways to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's where you would find them in the wild.
1: So just to clarify, hey, I'm not, Suggesting that my audience for a single second goes on a psychedelic journey. I'm just want to open your eyes to the possibility of what's going on here because it's spoken about a lot. And as we've sort of alluded to before, uh mainstream media doesn't really talk too much about it. So I would rather give you the information from someone that is going to be, we spoke about self-air, the forefront of potentially things coming in the future. So you're hearing it from one of the guys that's like it's been in the, this game for a long, long time. So when it comes to psychedelic stuff, I I've heard this before when it comes to um My personal thing, I've never taken a psychedelic, but if I was going to, I'd much rather take something that is of nature. So rather than LSD or something that's sort of man made, I would rather take something from a mushroom. Is it, is there any, I know with, but I'm not for a single second uh, going to take your word as gospel here, but is there any, real dangers of taking hallucinogenic mushrooms because people fear the dangers. Like We did a drug education stuff in this country when we were at school and talks about guys taking hallucinogenics and jumping off buildings or eating their own arm off. Just crazy stuff that's just fear-mongering at its finest. So in your experience with mushrooms, in your experience um, with psychedelics and the mushrooms, um, is there any negative things that can come from it?
0: There is a a book that Michael Pollan just wrote um, called Your Mind on Plants. And it it describes this concept like really profoundly, essentially that every plant medicine can be looked at either as a medicine or a poison, depending on how you interact with it and how you utilize it. And the same is true with coffee, um, opium and hallucinogenics are going to be no different. Um, I don't, I don't believe we know yet the, the, Long-term potential harmful effects. Definitely a, a potential for psychosis if it's abused, like any plant. Um, but one thing that's really important to note is, a lot of the studies that are being done right now for treating depression, resistant uh, treatment-resistant depression and anxiety and, and addiction, they're not. You know, it's not necessarily a, a psychiatrist prescribing you a a bottle of psilocybin and saying, go home, enjoy. It's not, it's not like that at all. It's, it's kind of in conjunction with therapy. Then therapy is, I believe more than half of the treatment. Psilocybin is nothing more than a tool in the, in the therapist arsenal to be able to expand and open up the mind to the treatment. So, you know, when, when, People are undergoing treatment for, you know, the cancer patients that were undergoing treatment. They take a a relatively high dose. They have headphones on with, you know, nice music on. They have eye shades on. And they're being guided through the process with their therapist. And at the end of the trip, they're basically sitting down and trying to make sense of the whole experience and reflecting on it and and allowing it to take hold and, and really make a profound experience out of it. I don't think taking the drug home and just tripping with your friends Although it it could very well have very beneficial impact, it's not the same as what we're going through and what we're studying right now with therapy. So that's something people, I think, should keep in mind, especially with those higher doses. Um, There is a potential that we find microdosing to be beneficial. Um, It's really theoretical right now um, that minute doses um, of, of mushrooms considered less than a gram, which would be a sub perceptual dose, not enough to really set a, a trip, but to, to just get therapeutic or, or, you know, health benefits from it, like expanding your mind and opening up creativity and enhancing your mood can be beneficial, but there's not enough science there to really to really validate it yet. So it's going to be interesting. I think the way we're going to see this play out is it's going to become um regulated for therapeutic doses. It's only going to be administered under supervision of a, of a registered licensed physician or a, or a therapist. And then we may see several years down the road it become a recreational um compound. But,
1: uh, I, I, I've, I've never thought of it like that. How you spent it there uh, from a therapeutic point of view. Again, I didn't realize this when we talk about psychedelics and how potentially it could be used to help mental health um uh, depression, anxiety, all sorts of stuff. And it never clicked. It could be used in conjunction with therapy, but that makes perfect sense. As you said there, because people worry about having bad trips. So Mm -hmm. again, obviously if you're with your friends and I think the thing I like you said about there is, um, you're in a safe space. It's relaxing. It's calm. You're in a very good mental health space anyway, even if you're not mentally okay, you then take it. It can help guide you. Whereas if you're uh, a very depressed person and you're very socially awkward, and then you're taking something with your mates and your mates are dickheads and they're kind of like, it could cause real sort of issues for you. So I'm really glad you said that as well. And the key word that you said there about microdosing. So again, microdosing, small dosages. So it's not a case of more is better. It's in control. Uh, and again, when we talk about like um, plant-based stuff, like again, we talk about like coffee and all that sort of stuff. Like we do use this stuff all the time, but we don't see it as a drug. Mm-hmm. Like coffee is a drug caffeine is a drug it's one of the most abused abused keyword abused drugs on the planet yet we don't think about that we talk about mushrooms and straight away people think oh my god it's the end of the world so I'm really grateful for you to actually clear that up uh, and again for my audience I'm not suggesting for a single second you go and start tripping out I just want to present this information to you uh from not necessarily an expert in that field but an expert in mushrooms and where that field's going so is there any other point you want to mention about hallucinogenics or psychedelics when it comes to mushrooms that potentially might be interesting for the audience?
0: It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Um, I'm excited just as anyone in, in the future is, uh, for right now, it's like almost unpredictable. We don't know what direction it's going to go. A lot of the studies are being done with what's called synthetic psilocybin, which I'm, I'm very against. I'm, I'm a big believer in nature provides the real, um, benefits And we're going down the same road that we did with opiates, Um, you know, opiates have always been looked at, you know, the poppy seed in in, in a very beneficial medicine and helping surgery or uh, helping people die painlessly. And, you know, once pharmaceutical companies get involved and start synthesizing chemicals out of it, like Oxycontin, you have rampant epidemic abuse. Mm. Um, And it's, it's, it's synthesizing a new chemical that, you know, isn't necessarily found in nature. Um, and what we're doing right now with psilocybin, all of the clinical studies are being done with synthetic psilocybin. I can't say for sure, um, it's going to lead to issues, but we're definitely going against the true nature of the medicine. Who knows what other chemicals are, are, you know, working in conjunction with psilocybin to benefit us that we're just cheating by going with, you know, a low cost alternative. Uh-huh. So yeah, something to keep in mind, uh, I'll always be a proponent for the real deal. Um, but yeah, so. I, I,
1: I, I agree with that. I love I love what you said there. Cause again, like we're just sort of che- cheating it to get the main thing, but it wasn't in nature just one thing. There's loads mm-hmm. of other things that are actually in that mushroom that's actually helping you get the psilocybin. And again, how the body actually absorbs it and utilizes it. Um so again, that's absolutely fascinating. Uh it made amazing information there. One final question that I've heard you uh, talk about before apart from psychedelics what other future do you see with mushrooms because there's loads of things now when it comes to like meat replacement packaging like it, what is the future like in 10 years time if i get you back on the podcast we're gonna by the way in 10 years time we are we'll be a million we'll be, we'll be the next Joe rogan we're gonna have millions of views um so we get you back in, in in 10 years time what could we be looking at in terms of what mushrooms are actually doing
0: I think you're going to look around the room you're in right now and a lot of the different materials making up um, objects in your room are going to be made out of of mushrooms. Um, So that mycelium that grows underground, it's a very tenacious web-like material. And a few really innovative young companies have been exploring how it can be used to create materials and fabrics. Um, and we've actually since partnered with one to start growing fabrics and, and meat alternatives. Um, so um, what's happening is we create essentially a food source for the mycelium and we grow the mycelium around this food source and it creates this gluing effect. So we can give it anything like you know agricultural byproducts, wood chips, things like that, um, grow the mycelium on it and it creates a, a brick. Um, And that brick can be used for packaging material. It can be used to um, insulate a house. It can be used as a car panel, a rocket ship panel. I mean, the sky's really the limit with it. Um, And now those companies are finding that slicing it into very thin layers and compressing it in the right way. uh, It can become indistinguishable from leather. And there are a few partnerships with major companies like Hermes and Adidas making their products. So there's been a a Milo shoe. You can look up M-Y-L-O that Adidas partnered with using straight up mycelium as the leather. And Hermes made a bag out of just mushroom mycelium as the bag. Um, And then the meat alternative is really cool. Um, Essentially, they're growing the mycelium in a way um, that it can simulate the texture of meat. And it's really tasteless. So getting the texture right is key because you can add um, flavors to make it taste like bacon or chicken or steak. But if you can get the texture right, it becomes virtually indistinguishable. And we met with these guys that were at our facility uh, last week. Um, and I haven't tried the, the products they're working on, but they said we did taste tests with a lot of like, you know, people that are you know culinary experts and we give them real bacon or fake bacon. And they could not tell the difference. I I, I want to test it for myself. So that seems <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's, it sounds too good to be true, but it's crazy if it's right, because it can be, uh, a much healthier alternative, lower sodium, lower fat, lower cholesterol, high in protein. Um, and it's obviously much more sustainable for the environment. Growing mycelium, takes a fraction of the resources as growing, you know, any sort of livestock.
1: So I love that. It's uh, cause I've heard you talk about that before. So I wanted my audience to see the future. So you heard it here first, this stuff is coming to you. Um, where can people find out more information about you and your company?
0: So our company's um, Monterey Mushrooms is our, our parent company, um, and you can look us up at MontereyMushrooms.com. Um, and our new our new um, company Alchemy, spelled A L C H E M I. You can look us up at AlchemyMushrooms.com or Alchemy Mushrooms on Instagram. And we like to show a lot of like behind the scenes footage of our farms and how we grow everything um so people can feel really connected with the nutrition they're getting so follow us there uh there's a lot of good information on our website as to you know what mushrooms can help with what um and yeah shoot us emails dms we'd love to talk about mushrooms so
1: yeah that'd be awesome i'm gonna get mikey to ping everything across the bottom of the screen because like i've been following you guys on instagram and behind the behind the scenes stuff that you do is cool as fuck and some of these ass mushrooms that you've got on there are awesome to see so uh okay. I Amir, mean, honestly, thank you so much for your time today. This has been absolutely incredible. And I know my audience has got some value. So again, don't forget, if you took any value from today's episode, don't forget to like and share it with a friend. Uh, again, if you're on YouTube, give us a subscribe, give us a thumbs up. If you're on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, don't forget to subscribe. So you don't miss future episodes. Amir, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Pleasure. Thank you.